I don't want to come too much to the microphone because I'm I'm full of uh, champagne or something. I don't want to create something uh, something like uh, <laughs> that is gonna everything's gonna go on fire. Do you wish you were playing tomorrow, or are you glad that it's in two weeks so you can really let loose tonight? No, no, no. I wish that it's okay in two weeks because tonight we're getting so drunk that tomorrow we're not gonna be able to play. Here on ESPN Plus, I'm Sebastian Salazar. He's Hercules Gomez, and that was Vanny Sartini, the interim manager of the Vancouver Whitecaps, who, with a 1-1 draw against the Seattle Sounders, clinched their postseason spot on a dramatic decision day in Major League Soccer. Herc, how about that? Unreal. Who thought Vancouver would make playoffs? Who thought Vancouver would be one of the hottest teams heading into playoffs? And uh, yes, I did think that they would go out and celebrate after mm -hmm. doing what they did. Can we get the interim tag removed from our Van uh, Sartini there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we need more of that in Major League Soccer. All right, Vancouver, let's, uh, let's take care about, of that stat. All right, plenty coming up in this show. We are going to talk MLS playoffs. We'll look ahead, but we also will, Herc, look back at Decision Day because there was lots to chew on from a, a Sunday in Major League Soccer that was very, very critical. Same thing down in Liga Mekis, right? Liga Mekis, regular season coming to an end over the weekend as well. As far as the National Women's Soccer League is concerned, we got highlights from the first round of playoff action. And we have, Herc, today a top 10 of weekend goals. Perfect. Perfect. But there is only one place to start this show this week. It is USA... Mexico week. Friday night in Cincinnati. Herc, are you ready? And let's start with uh, one of the key figures in this match, Christian Pulisic. He played again over the weekend in Chelsea's 1-1 draw against Burnley. Just the last five minutes coming on as a sub in the 85th. It's his second game back from that uh, ankle injury he suffered back in early September. Here's what his manager said after the match. The answers, if you look at the question, uh, if you look at the minutes, like, like you said, uh, the, the questions may be answered. I, I hope that they don't overuse him, that they're responsible enough. Um, Christian still feels a bit of, of pain. He absolutely wants to come back. It's a, it's a matter of pain management. It's not a matter of uh, re-injury or being still injured. It's just that it's still painful. But uh, he tried hard and he, he wanted desperately to come back and we needed him back. So it was a good start for him in Malmö. And today we had some 10 minutes. But yeah, we are a bit worried. Hopefully everybody and, and he himself is responsible and does not get carried away by, by emotions and by, by helping his, his uh, of course, his country to win a super important match. So hopefully, hopefully all goes well. And uh, he, um, he hopefully the, the minutes will elevate him that he comes back stronger. Worth noting, Herc, Christian Pulisic was injured on U.S. duty back on September 9th against Honduras. Here's the other side of the coin. Greg Berhalter on his star man in an interview with the Cincinnati Inquirer. Quote, I think the important thing is that Christian leaves camp healthy and ready to push on with Chelsea. We haven't determined exactly what his role will be, but I'm sure he'll be on the field in these games. Uh, real quick, though, back to the weekend comments from Thomas Tuchel. Herc, are you cool with what the Chelsea manager had to say? I'm cool with him shooting his shots. I am not cool with Greg Berhalter taking that into account and saying, I need to do this. Listen, it's true. The club pays your wages. That's fine. But this is a FIFA fixture date. And Greg Berhalter is under no obligation to listen to Thomas Tuchel 
and do what Chelsea wants. What he needs to do is what's in the best interest of the U.S. men's national team to win this game. The best interest of Christian Pulisic to stay healthy. Now, if you play this game and he's healthy because, according to Thomas Tuchel, it's just about managing pain, nothing's going to happen. Let him manage the pain as much as he wants. Get what you can out of him, okay, because that's what you need to do. Win and then manage him from there on out. This whole thing about being responsible, about I hope Christian's responsible too, reeks of, hey, do me a favor, save yourself for Chelsea. That's not how it works here. And Greg Berhalter should know better than that. Greg Berhalter needs to maximize and get the most out of his players to win this game and to qualify. So, Herc, I'm not cool with this for a couple reasons. One, it very much could have been done privately, both in terms of Christian Pulisic and in terms of Greg Berhalter. And the fact that it was done publicly makes me wonder what type of communication there is right now, not just between Chelsea and U.S. soccer, but between Thomas Tuchel and Christian Pulisic. And that's a, that's a bigger concern maybe moving forward. Beyond that, I think the quotes from Greg Berhalter make it crystal clear. He already knows this. He doesn't need Thomas Tuchel telling him right. what's best for his guy, right? What's best for Christian Pulisic is best for Chelsea, is best for the U.S. men's national team. And nobody needs that more than Greg Berhalter, whose job is literally tied to this team's success. So he already knew it. I, I can't really believe that he would be taking this into consideration from Thomas Tuchel. But to that point, the question then becomes, what do you do? So what, Herc, do you do? Your homework assignment was to pick what you wanted for an ideal 11 against Mexico. And you actually have, Herc, Christian Pulisic yeah. in the starting 11, despite the fact that last week on this show, you were preaching that you needed to manage his minutes. Correct. What manage happened? his minutes, Seb. You know how you manage those minutes in a controlled setting? If he's allowed to start, it's a proper preparation to start the game. The warm-up, the therapy, it's a controlled environment. It's not coming off the bench. It's not you have 10 minutes to go in, and then you go in on the fly, and you maybe burn a sub after making a sub. No, it's much more of a controlled environment. If you're an injured player coming back, this is the environment you want to get into. A start. It's controlled. So he goes in. He slots in on the left. Pepe Aronson. It's very easy to me. That's no problem right there. McKenny Adams Musa. That's the trident you want in that center of the midfield. Very dynamic. They're going to need to be dynamic. And then out wide on the back, you've got Anthony Robinson, more than earned his spot. You've got... Uh, Chris Richards, who I think has done very well, impresses me even more and more. Miles Robinson, mm. who I think is a mainstay right now. Nobody's taking that away from him. And then here it is, Joe Scally. You run with Joe Scally. You're not afraid to use Joe Scally. Joe Scally is one of your most informed players. Not informed right backs, informed players of the moment. You take that for what it's worth, and you trot out this lineup. So real quick on Christian Pulisic, he's literally played 21 minutes yeah. all this week. That's the entirety of what he's played since that game on September 9th uh, against Honduras. But the other part of this homework assignment for you was not what you wanted to see, but what you thought Greg Berhalter would pick. And you did think that he would do some things differently to you, one of which was you don't think that he will start Christian Pulisic. You think he'll go with Paul Areola. You also think he'll insert these three. Reggie Cannon at right back, Mark McKenzie into the center defense instead of Chris Richards, mm -hmm. and Gianluca Buzio, who is coming off a really good performance yeah. for Venezia against Roma, into the midfield instead of Yunus Musa, who you would put into your midfield three. Why those changes? Why do you think Greg Berhalter is prone to go that route? Well, Buzio, um, 
just because of his comments and what he said about him pushing for those minutes makes me believe he likes what he's seen out of Buzio and it's not been bad what we've seen out of Buzio in Serie A with Venezia so that could very much will happen. Pariola, if he's not going to start Christian Pulisic as the natural selection because that's who he enjoys. He enjoys what he can get at Pariola as far as stretching and getting in behind. I think he feels that Pariola physically offers something where it's not ball to the feet but into space and you saw against Jamaica how that can cause some problems. Uh, and as far as Mark McKenzie, Greg Berhalter has faith in his players, and I think he understands that Mark McKenzie didn't do so well last outing versus Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League final. He actually gave the ball away, a pretty bad giveaway to the Mexican national team. Tecatito Corona right down their throats, and he scores early. I think he, he likes players taking ownership and giving him that opportunity of vindication. Something tells me he's going to give Mark McKenzie this opportunity. Uh, call it a hunch, but also call it... You know, this is what he does. It's, it's almost habitual out of him, um, these, these type of changes. The Reggie Cannon shout to me is an interesting one. Because oh, Greg Reggie, Berhalter, yes. if, if, he, if anything, has proven he's willing to take a risk on really young, really inexperienced players in this qualifying cycle. No better example of that than Ricardo Pepe. So if Joe Scali is doing something along those same lines, you would think he wouldn't have a problem giving him that opportunity in a big game uh, like this one is against Mexico. So you had a lot of homework. You had to pick all these different 11s. All I had to do is pick my ideal 11 for Mexico against the United States Friday night uh, in Cincinnati. Now, I think this one is probably a little bit easier. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think Tata Martino has a, an easier job of making his choices than Greg Berhalter. Here's what I went with. Across the top, Chucky Lozano, Raul Jimenez, and Orbelin Pineda. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Tecatito is in there, and that's Tata's choice, but I don't think Tecatito has been that good, Herc, and I think Orbelin Pineda has, so I'm going to give him the start there. In midfield, Ache Ache, Edson Alvarez, those are locks. The only question is the third guy in. I went Luis Romo. I, I, we always say against the U.S. you can't get overrun. So you got to get younger. You got to get more physical in there. It was between Romo and Sebastián Córdoba. I went for experience and a little more ball winning to free up Héctor Herrera. Across the back, Jesús Gallardo, Héctor Moreno, Johan Vázquez, and Chaka Rodríguez. I know it says uh, C. Rodríguez there, all in front of... Uh, Memo Cho, of course, no Nestor Araujo. He's out on yellow card suspension. No Cesar Montes. Injured. Uh, he's injured uh, as well. So what do you think of my 11, and where do you think Tata Martino might disagree? I think he'll disagree with Pineda. Orbelin's a very good uh, player, but Tecatito Corona, and I know he's on a slump, but Tecatito Corona has done well, and primarily against the U.S. men's national team in the past. I, I go back to a few years back in the Meadowlands, the new Meadowlands, where he completely... Uh, Rex Reginio Dest, assist to Javier Hernandez, one of Javier Hernandez's last Yeah, goals. but you can't live off one play, Her. I, I'm not. Let me let me go on to the next play. Mark McKenzie in their last final, the CONCACAF Nations League final, where he completely destroys them on that left-hand side, scores the very first goal of the game. Now, what I will concede with you is that's, if you will, bad streak or that bad run of form for Tecati Corona started somewhere along the lines of Gold Cup. Coincidentally, these negotiations with uh, Porto and his exit didn't go his way. That's where it started. And George Bello may still have Tecatito in that pocket. <laughs> but this is the U.S. men's national team. Tecatito is a player, like we spoke about Linus last week, who seems to do well against this type of opponent. I would have stuck with them there. And then also in the midfield. Andres Guardado, you're taking out the captain of your team. I don't care how old he is. Hold on, it's hold, the, on hold on, hold on, hold on. You've been retiring this guy for four months. I have. I'm not Tata Martino. I have. Here's the thing. Tata Martino 
It's not the second or third game of a window. There are only two this window, by the way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you don't have to worry about his fitness. You get him in the very first game, in a big game, against an opponent that he knows very well. To take out your captain seems like a very risky move for a lot of reasons. The, the biggest one is if it backfires on you, that's a lot of pressure on Tata Martino. And then you mentioned the center back situation. You went with Hector Moreno, who's often injured uh, this season, especially for the Mexican national team. And if I saw, when I saw the roster the U.S. put out, mm -hmm. the U.S. men's national team, it screamed of, because he also said it, he wants a more dynamic team. He screamed, like, I want to use John Herdman's handbook, John Herdman's blueprint yep. against Mexico in the Azteca, where Canada just ran them ragged, where it was physically they were too much. And if that's the case, Hector Moreno for pace is not the man you want there. And Johan Vasquez has played how many games with the Mexican national team, the full team? Tata Martino's had him in the stands. It seems like there are a lot of changes, too many, uh, if I'm Tata Martino right there. Can I make one more point about the lineup that I put forth there? Because we on this show often question whether Major League Soccer adequately prepares its U.S. players for World Cup qualifying. Okay. That question about Liga Mekis is going to get answered in this game. Because the two outside backs, Chaka Rodriguez, Jesus Gallardo, are Liga Mekis lifers. And if they go up against the 11 that you chose, not what you think Greg Berhalter would do, they'll be going up against Christian Pulisic, and Brendan Aronson. That's going to be a real tough test for those guys, isn't it? And I think that's what Greg Berhalter's hoping. I think he, he understands that the outside backs fly, and they're more involved in the attack than they really are in defending, and he understands that those two center backs, especially doesn't matter which one of the center midfields is protecting them, is going to be a very slow uh, a tandem, if you will, right there. So he'll take his chances physically, but you're right. I mean, you, you, of all people, uh, go at Major League Soccer and its players in these FIFA fixture windows. And, and maybe Tata Martin, to an extent, has gone after Major League Soccer as well because how many Major League Soccer players are playing with this Mexican national team in this FIFA fixture date? This many. Okay. Yeah. Well, now Liga Mekis will be on display. So let's change gears a little bit, Herc. We'll keep it here with U.S. and Mexico, but we'll go a little bit more historical perspective. Now, if I were to ask you if there was a quintessential moment, not a goal or a game, but a moment in this rivalry. Does something first come to mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, the very first Dos Acero. Dos Acero comes to mind. That's no, what, no, no. An image. An image. Beyond a game, beyond a result, like yeah, an okay. image, a yes, moment. Yes, yes. Maybe because I know him, but it's Guchan Weyu and Jared Borghetti. It's those there two. It's is. the face-off. That's when I think of, that's what I think of when I think U.S. men's national versus Mexico. This is exactly the image I think of. So that was back in 2005 in a World Cup qualifier in Columbus. In the, in the latest edition of Tales from the Pitch, we're going to hear the Mexican side of that story from our good friend and ESPN Deportes colleague, Jared Borghetti. Hola, yo soy Jared Borghetti y le anoté un gol a Estados Unidos. ¿Qué recuerdo ese día antes del partido? Yo creo que días previos al partido. Veníamos de una eliminatoria muy mala con Ojitos Mesa. Iba a ser el primer partido de Javier Aguirre al frente de la selección. Recuerdo eh, obviamente las palabras de Javier Aguirre, pero también recuerdo mucho lo que pasaba por mi mente. Porque me había costado mucho llegar a la selección, ganarme un, un lugar dentro de ella. Eh, y el Mundial se me estaba escapando de las manos. Llega Javier y las palabras de él hacia mí, que no fueron durante el, la plática con el grupo, sino más bien, más directamente, 
habla conmigo, me dice, mira, eh, ya sabes cómo está la situación, eh, nos estamos jugando muchísimo, eh, si te das cuenta, limpia a muchos de los que habían aquí, o sea, saquea a todos, a todos, pero te dejé a ti, porque quiero confiar en ti, quiero que eh, me demuestres de lo que eres capaz, y te lo digo así, esto es como si fuera tu examen, si no, si hoy no te va bien, pues, sorry, carnal, yo no, yo no voy a estar sacándote, vas a ser tú con lo que, con lo que no hagas en, en este encuentro. Y no es que me hayan calado, es como, fue como un decir, en mi vida siempre he tenido como este tipo de situaciones de, de estar demostrando una y otra vez ¿no? que puedo ser capaz de, de estar en, en un lugar. Y, y como se los platiqué antes, esa posibilidad de poder quedar fuera del mundial, pues obviamente me dolía porque yo ya tenía 28 años y no sé si iba a llegar con 32 años casi al, al otro mundial. Bueno, la, la jugada del gol viene de un centro que regularmente no se cobra directamente al, al área. Eh, siempre viene como en una segunda jugada para buscar un centro de un poquito más del costado. Me veo que el jugador que me está marcando me, me está un poquito por atrás de mí. Le marco la jugada a García Aspe para que me mande el balón por enfrente. Y ya sabía de la capacidad de García Aspe de, de, de mandar ese tipo de centros. Y, y afortunadamente salió justamente como él lo pensó, donde me la quería poner, donde yo la pedí. Y obviamente lo que yo eh, pedía también, que era una oportunidad para poder eh, hacer el remate a gol. Cuando logro impactarlo, veo que, que el balón eh, pega en las redes, pues obviamente la emoción eh, enorme dentro de, dentro de mí por haber anotado el gol eh, eh, que nos daba la ventaja. Anotaron en el Estadio Azteca, que creo que en ese momento casi estaba totalmente lleno. Era, en aquel entonces eran sí, ya más, todavía más de 100 mil gentes. Y eso pues, me da un poquito de tranquilidad y no es que en ese momento se me venga a la mente las palabras de, de Javier, para nada. Uno cuando está en el partido realmente se olvida lo que pasa, simplemente vives el momento, lo que está sucediendo, lo que está pasando. Y el, y el vivir y el sentir el grito de, de toda esa afición eh, realmente fue espectacular. Ya había anotado goles con la selección en el Estadio Azteca, eh, pero, pero creo que no habían tenido esa importancia como realmente la tenía esta. Y, y obviamente eso fue lo que me hizo sentir con tranquilidad, con confianza en decir mm, no es que dependa solo de mí, depende también de muchos más, pero creo que aquí estoy yo haciendo lo que me toca y espero que por eso pueda alcanzar. ¿no? I will obviously hurt that uh, was not the World Cup qualifier from 2005. Instead, no. a, uh, a much earlier one from 2001 featuring Khaled Borghetti. Nevertheless, some, uh, some great story time. Let's get back to the game Friday night. Who between the two teams needs it more? Uh, Mexico. And this may sound strange because Mexico's flying high, their first place in the octagonal. But if you go back to this summer, because that's what everybody will do in Mexico, is go back to this summer. Tata Martino, two finals against the U.S. men's national team. One with the A team, the CONCACAF Nations League final, and one with the C team, against the C team, the Gold Cup final. You lost both of them. And you lost with a lot of uncertainty. You lost to a U.S. men's national team that you outplayed. You lost with dead ball situations. Not once, but twice. Now, they didn't hire Tata Martino to qualify for the World Cup. 
Many have done that before. They hired Tata Martino to transcend, to trascender, to take him to that quinto partido, that next level. And if you can't beat the U.S. Men's, na men's National Team, this version of the U.S. Men's National Team, then what's Tata Martino doing here that could potentially take them to that quinto partido? So he's the one under the most pressure. Mexico is under the most pressure. Look, I'm not going to argue with you about media pressure, although I would suggest if you want more media pressure on the manager here, you can speak up a little bit. And I'm not going to argue with you about fan pressure, right? It's obviously, it's a bigger deal in Mexico up there. But I think you can make a case and a pretty good one here for the United States. So uh, hear me out. One, it's a home World Cup qualifier. And if I've ever heard you say anything, it's that you've got to get your three points at home. On top of that, they've already dropped points against Canada. And let's be honest, Herc. They came pretty close to dropping points against Costa Rica as well. I think the Jamaica game is the only one that you would say was comfortable. Beyond that, Mexico are three points ahead. So just statistically, the U.S. need it more. And the U.S. is only three points out of fourth place, right? So not being in one of those guaranteed spots. As, as good as the results have been, this isn't a lock. We're only halfway through. The U.S. can mathematically use this win more. But let's go even bigger picture, right? Because before this summer... The United States against Mexico hadn't won a competitive match, Herc, in eight years. And now you have a chance, if you're the United States men's national team, to in five months win three competitive matches against Mexico. That, to me, signifies that the pendulum, the power in the rivalry has swung. And here's why that's so important. Because I think that the next time the pendulum in this rivalry swings, it won't swing back. The United States is exporting way more players, Herc, into the top leagues than Mexico is even coming close to. So tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that the next time the U.S. overtakes Mexico, unlike what we saw in the early 2000s, it'll be very difficult, if not impossible, for Mexico to get that back. Seb, quantity doesn't mean quality. And we've had this conversation many a times. And we've seen, we've seen it swing back and forth from the 90s, from the 70s where it stays one way, to the 90s, to the 2000s, to the 2010s, and it keeps going back and forth. That's why mm. it's a rivalry, because all of a mm. sudden, it's competitive. I don't think just because it swings one way for a, an era that it'll stay that way. Things can change, and you do know you how this works. You, you say things can change. Do you see Mexican soccer changing to the point where it exports players? Because you know that's what's going to be well, the difference. If You're I the realize one, one thing about Mexican soccer is... Talking about if where I people realize play. one thing about Mexican soccer is they adapt. They adapt to where the dollar is going, to where the buck is going. So these continued relationships with the Premier League, with European football, it's going to better these things, especially if they get left behind. What they don't want to do is be left behind by the United States, by the U.S. men's national team. So that can change. My thing here is, and I will ask you, you see this on the calendar. This is a coin flip. This is a toss-up. U.S. men's national team versus Mexico. This U.S. men's national team versus Mexico in Cincinnati. Or do you think it's a lock for the U.S. men's national team? Because if you don't think it's a lock for the U.S. men's national team, but you think they can steal one, Mexico can steal one, you think Mexico has more pressure, that's why I went that way. All right. Speaking of locks, let's give the people some locks for Friday night. The latest segment of Book It. All right. We each had to pick two, not one, two bets from this game. Herc, what did you pick? Uh, I'm going with uh, Miles Robinson, anytime goal. Oh, sorry. No, I'm going with U.S. Men's National Team, uh, three and a half over this game. Okay, so it's U.S. Men's National Team versus Mexico. They've got to score four goals or more together combined, and you win 350. That's how it works. Okay. Mm. 
I'm this loving that for our post-game well, show. Well, let me I'm tell, let me tell you what, let me show. tell you why. I know these Clásicos, these these rivalry games are oftentimes tight and they're rigid and they're defensive efforts. But if we've learned anything from this Mexican team is they play one way. It's in their DNA to go, to advance the ball, to be push offensive numbers in the possession and take their chances and leave themselves exposed at times. And if we learn anything from that Canada versus Mexico game is, you can take advantage of that. And if we see this roster by Greg Berhalter, you can see they can take advantage of that, which leads me to believe that somewhat circumstantially, it'll be a back and forth type of game. And if the U.S. Men's National Team does not finish chances, and by that I mean make sure the ball goes out of bounds so you get a restart and everything's in front of you, it could be a long day and we could see a lot of goals. I'm going to take the over on this one at 350. Okay, who's going to score those goals? You got a U.S. goal score for us. I'm sorry? You, who's going to score those goals? You got a U.S. goal score for us? Oh, I got one for you. An anytime goal score, and that's Miles Robinson. And I found one, a bet. Miles Robinson, anytime goal at plus 900. Woo! If we've learned anything from this U.S. men's national team versus this Mexican team is you can hurt them off set pieces, on dead balls. And guess who's very good on a set piece? Guess who, by the way, happened to score a goal versus Mexico on a set piece? And guess what? The game was played in Cincinnati where Miles Robinson yesterday scored a goal on a set piece. I like those odds. Anytime odds on Miles Robinson scoring a set piece or scoring a goal at plus 900, if you bet 50 bucks, that's a $550 return right there. That's $550 on the bank, a little payout. I'll take that. All right, you're deep in the player props. Let me get us back to the match itself, okay? Because I'm trying to think okay. who's going to win this game, what's going to happen. I'm thinking draw. Mm. I'm thinking draw, which actually you can double your money on. Pays out, as you see there, uh, at plus 195. Uh, here's what I think. Last two meetings tied after 90 minutes. So we got some precedent there, right? right we right. got some evidence. We got some data we can, we can rely on there. I don't really trust either of these two teams, especially defensively, to hold on to a lead. Okay, that's the other thing that is very clear. And finally, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, a draw is a very convenient result for everybody here. When we talk about pressure, I think it's good enough for Greg Berhalter. I think it's very much good enough for Tata Martino. And I think if we're late and we're tied, neither team's going to be risking it that much. So I really like this bet of a draw at plus 195. Yeah, I like where you're going with this. The only thing... I actually think Greg Berhalter is going to take chances. He mentioned mm. having this will be the fourth game against Mexico in his era. The first one was in Jersey. The second one was in Denver. The third one was in Las Vegas. And he mentioned that all three times it wasn't so much a pro U.S. men's national crowd and how he expects that. So I see this roster. I firmly believe he's going to take that blueprint, the John Herdman versus Mexico at the Azteca blueprint, and it'll be an open game. And if you play an open game, there are going to be goals. I don't see a goal. I don't see a game where there's a lot of goals scored and it ends up in a tie. That's the only thing here. Odds to win in 90, the U.S. plus 225, Mexico plus 140. So the U.S., a pretty big dog at home there, yeah. Herc, uh, in Cincinnati. All right, I got one more bet for you here okay. to score. And this one was tougher than, than picking the draw. I go Raul Jimenez, anytime goal score at plus 200. Now, this was difficult for me because I saw the payout for Chucky Lozano, which was plus 250. It's a little bit better payout. But here's the truth about Chucky. As well as he's played for the Mexican national team, he's been a little bit wasteful, hasn't he, in front of goal. And I feel like if Raul Jimenez gets one chance in this game, there's a better chance that he'll score it. So I'm yeah. taking Raul Jimenez as plus 200. And given the fact that you said there's going to be over three and a half goals, 
In this game, betting on the Mexican number nine, I feel like it's pretty safe. I feel like it'll be more of the CONCACAF uh, Nations League final than it was the Gold Cup final. Let me remind you who had a chance to win that uh, in the end or tie it in the end. It was Andres Guardado with a penalty kick. And who normally takes those, Seb? Mm. Raul Jimenez. Raul Jimenez. Would have, been, uh, would have been Raul Jimenez. And maybe the whole story of this summer Hercules Gomez would be different. All right, so here is the CONCACAF table as it stands. Mexico, United States, and Canada occupying the automatic spots to the Qatar World Cup. Panama on fourth. They'd be headed to the playoffs. After that, it's Costa Rica, Jamaica, El Salvador, and Honduras. Friday's schedule includes Honduras against Panama, uh, El Salvador hosting Jamaica, and Canada hosting Costa Rica. And of course, her, the big one, Friday. The United States against Mexico from Cincinnati. We got a one-hour-long pregame show on ESPN Plus, as well as across all ESPN digital platforms. And of course, Football Americas will be in Cincinnati post-game on ESPN Plus. Time for another edition of Tales from the Pitch. This one featuring Tyler Adams, who scored his first international goal against Mexico. I'm Tyler Adams, and I scored a goal against Mexico. It was a, a very uh, historic day in, in our nation's history, obviously that day being 9-11. Um, so most importantly, it was, it was good to be enjoying and doing what I love and you know, not obviously having to think too much about you know, the ones that passed away and risked their lives for such a tragedy. Leading up to that game was was just excitement. I mean, whenever you have the opportunity to play against Mexico, especially for me, my first senior game against Mexico, um, I was very excited. Everything you hear about playing Mexico is obviously, first off, they're, they're a quality side, but it's a rivalry in, in our um, national team history. So uh, whenever you have the opportunity to play against them, it's going to be a gritty game, um, and you, you want to go out there and you want to battle. So blood, sweat, and tears you know, for those types of games. And um, I remember going out on that pitch and just battling every opportunity I had, wanting to win every single tackle as normal. I remember it was getting you know late in the game. Um, they had picked up a red card. This guy's That's a red We were just pushing to, to try to get one, and uh, I remember, you know, seeing some space as the ball went out wide to Anthony Robinson, um, and he was darting down the left side. And I just remembered to myself, um, you know, push, you know, one final push to get in the box, and and hopefully, you know, the ball will fall to my feet. Good energy now about the U.S. And Adams has got a chance here. his first ever U.S. goal. Well, thankfully, it did. It fell right to me, and I didn't have to do too much work. The cross, you know, really did it all for me, and just able to, to tap it into to the goal. And, yeah, I mean, the energy in the stadium was crazy. I, I'll never forget that moment. I, I mean, it all happened so quickly. I mean, for me, I remember my mom being in the stadium, and I just started looking for her and, and pointed to her, and I could tell how happy she was. And yeah, as soon as my teammates started jumping on my back, it, it all kind of became a little bit surreal. You know, you just scored in, in a derby match against against Mexico. You know, no matter the level of the game, whether it's a friendly, qualifying, anything, you know, it all means so much. So you know, for me, it, it was a, a weight relieved. Um, I mean, to score your first goal in such a big game was was good. But anything I could do to help the team, I was happy.
Alright, let's run it back with some of the guys who may be feeling left out of the latest call-ups. Jordan Peefock, he scored in a draw for Young Boys. Yeah, you know what? He's been banged up a little. Four or five uh, weeks, he's not scored, not been in great form. This goal is going to do wonders for him, and ah, just a different skill set, just a different type of player. He was the guy who helped you out in Honduras, that semifinal game in the CONCACAF Nations League final. I don't know, Seb. I wanted him here. That's about uh, easy as finishes you'll have. Oh, those are the ones you like as a striker. Never got those. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Bangers only, Hercules Gomez. How about Alan Sonora, 23-year-old, U.S. Argentile dual national, who scored for Independiente over the weekend. He's having a great season, Herc. He's having a ridiculous season. Ex-Boca Juniors Academy, making a name for himself in Independiente. Son of Diego Sonora. Do you know why you recognize that? Teams like yeah, the Dallas Burns, Metro <laughs> Stars, your DC United, Tampa Bay Mutiny. Uh, his brother, Joel, uh, plays at Banfield as well. So keep an eye with this kid. He's only uh, 23 years of age. And he's got uh, three goals so far this season. Maybe uh, a call-up. Maybe for the U.S., maybe for Argentina as well. Good news for Eddie Gutierrez, who starts his second straight game for PSV. That after hardly playing last season, Herc. Yeah, he's only 26 years old. Second straight. Uh, he's only played six games. In all, this season, that goes to the Europa League, too. Hopefully, translates to more. Yeah, he's started two straight, played in four straight. In case you missed it, some coaching changes, Herc, that'll impact our CONCACAF guys. Xavi Hernandez, did you hear about this? He's the new coach at Barcelona. What? He'll be managing Serginho Des, trying to get them out of the hole they are currently in. Barcelona, ninth place in La Liga, 12 games into their season. Yeah, he said, from the outside looking in, it seems like some players need confidence. I'm going to be here for those players to help them out. Let's hope he takes Serginho Test to that next level. Yeah, that is the question. People always said Serginho Test was a uh, Ronald Koeman guy. We will see what uh, Xavi, who was introduced in front of a, a crowd of tens of thousands there in Barcelona, uh, will do with the young American right back. Meanwhile, in Syria, Andrei Shevchenko, yes, the Andrei Shevchenko, is taking over Genoa, where he will manage Johan Vasquez. Uh, Johan's only played five games this season. They've had a rough go of things at Genoa, the oldest club in Serie A. 777 partners, American-owned Genoa. Andrei Shevchenko could be the guy. They are 17th right now in Syria, so uh, not below the relegation line, but basically right on it. Shevchenko coming off a pretty good summer. He took Ukraine all the way to the quarterfinals of Euro 2020. In the Premier League, Josh Sargent is going to have a new boss. Norwich have sacked manager Daniel Farke. Yep, not good for Josh Sargent. Uh, Norwich only five points in 11 games, only five goals scored. You hope the next coach who comes in gives him that confidence and can change uh, change his ways because this is a player that has all the tool sets. I mean, a very complete player, just lacking that confidence right now. He's lacking that confidence, team maybe as well. Norwich sacked their manager as they currently sit last place in the Premier League. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The 
playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, let's come back across the Atlantic to Major League Soccer Decision Day on Sunday. Herc, let's start in the West. Four key games. Colorado, they beat LAFC 5-2, a result that eliminated LAFC. And also, with the combination of other results, helped Colorado win the West. Galaxy, Minnesota, this one was a, a play-in game. Finished 3-3 despite the fact that Chicharito had a brace. That draw was enough for Minnesota. It would not, at the end of the day, be enough for the LA Galaxy, though it did get Chicharito over the 15 and a half over under we set. Vancouver, Seattle, 1-1. That means Vancouver gets in. The drop points, though, cost Seattle the Western Conference. And the drama with RSL, 95th minute game winner from Demir Krylak to beat Sporting Kansas City. Herc, you called this game a uh, pretty clear penalty shot for Sporting Kansas City uh, there late. So here's what it looked like in the Western Conference table. There you see who got in, but the big story is who was left out. LAFC and the LA Galaxy. So Herc, the first question to you is who had a bigger decision day failure? LAFC or the Galaxy? Ah, uh, it's LAFC. The Galaxies was taken away from them. I called that Sporting versus uh, Rouse Lake game is Justin Glad who takes the ball away with this hand from Roger Espinosa. Should have been a penalty kick, and then ultimately, Ralph Salt ends up scoring the go-ahead goal, which eliminates the Galaxy. LAFC, it's a must-win game, and granted, against Colorado, who's having an unbelievable season, but they've looked like a shell of themselves, of their former selves. This is a team that looked like it just lacked any type of fight. It's a huge fail on the side of LAFC, because we're thinking, like, this season was the last dance type of thing for LAFC. Mm. Think about how they started Major League Soccer. They knocked it out the park with Carlos Vela, the big Mexican signing. Uh, did very well in their first season. Second season, you know, ended up being a historic season uh, for, for Bob Bradley, for LAFC, for Carlos Vela. The third season, even though they didn't do very well in the regular season, they eliminated Leon in the CONCACAF Champions League, eliminated Cruz Azul, and they went on to eliminate... Club America ultimately lost to Tigres in that final of Champions League, but it almost seemed like, hey, this was the year. If you don't do it this year, we need to blow it up. And what happened? Carlos fell over the last two years, injured. Uh, mm. Didn't play MLS's back tournament, gets injured last season, gets injured the very first game of this season, injured again through the midseason. Uh, we're talking about a guy who makes $6.3 million a year, who scored all of nine goals in two seasons. Bob Bradley, Carlos Vela on contract years. Very easy for them to just walk away. This was the year you're going to sell Diego Rossi, Brian Rodriguez. This was the year LAFC was supposed to make that run with their celebrity ownership, that brand new shiny toy of a stadium, and it didn't happen. It almost seems like, I know, I know you're smiling inside. I, I can see you going right now, but this is the biggest LA fracaso of them both. There's a case to be made for the Galaxy here. You know, LAFC had a, had a lot to do on decision day. The Galaxy at one point were pretty much a lock to make these playoffs. I mean, they were above the line for almost the entire season and yeah. kind of gave it away down the stretch. That's a collapse, Herc. So I think you could make a case for the Galaxy. The other case you could make for the Galaxy is that they have the, the top payroll in Major League Soccer, right? So when you're spending the most money, it's a pretty big fail when you don't make the postseason. Not that LAFC don't spend money, right? They're in the top five. Yeah. But the Galaxy spend the most money, so it's a little bit more embarrassing. But this one has to be LAFC, and for me, it's the manner in which it happens. It's a must-win game, and you shipped five. 
Now that either means that the players gave up or they were set up poorly. And that comes down to the manager, Bob Bradley, who has now hurt, gone 21 years without winning a major trophy at club level. Again, you got to go back to the 2000 U.S. Open Cup with the Chicago Fire. And if you're LAFC and you have all these ambitions, now four years in, it's very fair to ask if this is the manager that's going to get you to that next level, to those trophy ambitions. And it's not just a question, Herc, for the LAFC front office. It's also a question for the LAFC fans, because let's be honest, fan pressure is the only thing that's going to move a front office to be more ambitious. I go to those Bank of California games when I'm out there visiting you, and you know what I hear? I hear the 3252 rocking that place, and that place isn't always full. There's empty seats quite a bit. It's not always a sellout. But the question is, is the 3252 there to be on TV? Are they there for the very cool scene in the upper concourse after the match, which I know about thanks to our great producer, Beto? Or are they there for the soccer? And if they're there for the soccer, their ambition should be trophies. And again, this coach in four years hasn't delivered. Let me get this straight. You're going to base off his trophy cabinet for going to France coaching the Egyptian national team, coaching in the Premier League, that lack of trophy you're going to translate at the Major League Soccer level. That's your gripe. I'm going to tell you that Bob Bradley has not won a significant piece of silverware, Herc, in 21 years. Do you know who Bob Bradley is? Bob Bradley is yes, the Ricardo Lavolpe of American soccer. No. Big <laughs> attitude, big <laughs> reputation, small trophy case. Seb, if he coached his whole career in Major League Soccer, that's a, that's a crazy statement to say. He'd have more trophies. He can't trophies. win trophies in other places? Because he, he couldn't because win a he's trophy coaching in the, the Egyptian national team because that's he's coaching too high in the mountain? What do you think, no, what do you think he's going to do? Ahead. What do you think Go he's going to do? Win the Premier League? No, he, he couldn't win the second division in France. Wait, wait. He, couldn't, he couldn't win in Scandinavia. Where are those trophies, huh? So because he couldn't win in Europe, He's a bad coach in Major League Soccer. One of the winningest coaches in Major League Soccer is a bad coach in Major League Soccer. No, no, no. Never said bad coach. I said if LAFC's ambitions are trophies, and if the 3252's ambitions are trophies, where is the evidence that Bob Bradley is going to be the guy to get you that at club level? You tell me, because I can't he's find any trophy. in the last 21 years. He's won, a he's won a trophy. He's won a league cup. He's won a... He's won a Domestic, I don't, I don't understand this. Except 21 years ago. Except he set the record for points with this team. And you told me last week it didn't matter because it happens every year. Okay, but he said it. That record but just he said got you broken. But you can't call somebody who sets it a bad coach or not the coach. Because if you're talking about silverware, that supporter shield happens to be silverware. So we've seen reports this week that Bob Bradley will indeed be moving along but of his own accord, to Toronto FC. This does kind of feel like the end of the, of the line for this LAFC, right? There's like a huge rebuild coming. It feels like, it felt like this should have been the last dance. Now, if you're John Thorrington, if you're the powers that be, you've pretty much gotten rid of every single player, every single person pillar in that team that the fan base has cared about. So it seems like the most logical thing right now is $6.3 million with Carlos Vela didn't produce in the last two years. And Bob Bradley, per you, hasn't won anything and isn't the man that everybody would move on. And guess what? Every single party involved would have options. It just seemed like that's the thing that's going to happen. All right, we spent enough time talking about the teams that didn't make it. Maybe we should focus on the teams that actually did. So let's take another look at the Western Conference table, because this is worth, Herc, really, truly another look. It is historic. The Colorado Rapids won the Western My Conference Colorado this Rapids. year. My Colorado Rapids. 
with the lowest payroll in the league. How did they do it? <laughs> Honestly, I do not know, but a big part of me tells me that's Robin Frazier. I was fortunate enough to play for Robin Frazier in Toronto. I know how serious uh, of a man he is. I know how good of a tactician he is, how serious and seriously prepared those teams are. Um, one DP, okay, and that's a lone DP. He, he, he took William Yarborough, who was an afterthought, and made him into a goalkeeper of the year candidate, by the way, which I voted for. Uh, trusty, a defender of the year candidate. Uh, this team is now going to be in the CONCACAF Champions League. They won the West over some very good teams like Kansas City and the Seattle Sounders. They're very balanced defensively. They've got some young guns offensively. You have to give credit to what Robin Frazier has been able to do. Not enough of us spoke about the Colorado Rapids. Mm -hmm. A lot of us, including you, I should say you mainly, had Colorado in the irrelevant fan base, irrelevant club uh, category in Major League Soccer, but no more. I think Robin Frazier has given, me, given them that legitimacy. They, they so desperately crave for. By the way, record for points for the Rapids this season under Robin Frazier. Real quick, if you had a vote, would he get your vote for Coach of the Year? He's in the conversation. It, absolutely in the conversation, but he's yeah, not going to get, get your it. vote. He wouldn't get, get my vote. No, because what Bruce Arena has done, he's just playing chess, you know, and a lot of these guys are playing checker. He, he's just above and beyond what they have done, what New England has done. Where New England was when he took them over, I, yeah, no, I, I don't think anybody's taking that away from Bruce. We just got to look at the bracket, Herc. I, I wonder, you don't think the Rapids are, are like the favorite in the West, do you? No. No, Who no, is? No, no, no. Who no. is? That's Seattle Sounders. I don't know why you're asking me. I mean, it, it's we're in November, which means the Seattle Sounders will start playing football once mm. again really soon. And what's going to happen? The Seattle Sounders, who this season produced two MVP candidates. I think Christian Roldan fell off that train. Neil Hutalu was also on that train at the beginning of the season. But easily, and Raul Ruiz Diaz and Joao Paulo, who's having a ridiculous type of season, are going to get back Nicolas Lodeiro, who was an MVP candidate last season, and Jordan Morris now in time for this run. What they need right now is healthy bodies. What they need right now is time to work. A break, a break, excuse me, a refresher. And then once again, like it's been for the last four going on five years, it's the Seattle Sounder time. And there is not one team in the league that wants to face the Sounders come playoff time. So Seattle gets RSL in the first round. If I were to throw, a, not a favorite, but a dark horse out in the West, it would be Portland. Uh, they get Minnesota. Portland's attorney team, I'm just saying, uh, watch out there yep. in the West. What a story it would be if we got uh, Portland and Seattle Shocker, in a you significant, significant game Shocker. out there. Let's go to the Eastern Conference then, shall we? Which was not nearly, Herc, as dramatic as the West. It was dramatic, but there wasn't movement, right? The teams that started the day above the line ended the day above the line. That means Columbus, D.C., and Montreal are all left out. But the story in the East continues to be the New England Revolution, despite the fact that they lost to Inter-Miami on Sunday, the schedule has just dropped, literally as we are live right now on ESPN+. Plus. The New England Revolution, Herc, will not play again until November 30th. That means 23 days off. Is this a problem or pretexto, excuse? Bruce Arena. Yeah, this is a, a problem. Excuses are what these MLS players are sending me right now because I didn't mention them in these categories. I'm getting live texts from MLS <laughs> oh, players names, as names, we speak. Names. I'm not that type of guy. Guy. But uh, I, no, this is a huge problem because how many times, Seb, and you've covered this, uh, you've spent time as a fan and covered it as a pundit where you know 
it doesn't really matter what you did in the regular season. What matters is how you head into the playoffs. Now, 23 days is a lot of time. Maybe that gives Adam Busca enough time to come back from that fractured metatarsal. I don't know. That's going to be a huge loss. It's very difficult to just replace those 16 goals, four assists. You can't fill that void just like that. But when everybody else is in rhythm, when everybody else is in that game sharpness and you're just trying to get back to it, that's a difficult thing to get. I mean, as a player, there is nothing better than feeling that zone, that rhythm. And when you don't have it, when you can feel that rust, that is the worst thing. Nothing can prepare you for that rust. So let's take a look then at the Eastern bracket to see just kind of how this will shake out for the New England Revolution, because I gotta get a dark horse pick out of you out of the East as well. Who do you think is the best bet to knock New England off? Uh, to knock New England off? I mean, out of those two? Or are you talking about my dark horse? No, I'm talking your dark horse. Out of everybody else in the East, who do you think is, is your best bet? If it ain't New England, if it ain't uh, New England. I like Nashville. I like Nashville. There's something to be said about you know, being hard to play against, and you've got Gary Smith and a coach uh, who's who's won this. Uh, this is Nashville's a team that's very difficult to play against. Henry Mukhtar is a is a player that's just playing and running on all cylinders. Very strong defensively. Walker Zimmerman, you know, could easily be a defender of the year candidate. They're just a very difficult team to play against. Uh, but also, listen, New England gets the winner of New York uh, City FC and Atlanta, both mm -hmm. teams just very strong offensively. I don't think they're going to have an easy game no matter what. Nashville starts against Orlando. My, my dark horse would be Atlanta, Herc. I, I really think this team is coming in hot. They're playing very well. I would probably also make them my way too early pick to win 2022 MLS Cup. They're just adding another big-time DP, Thiago Almada out of Argentina, a 20-year-old. They spent something like $15 million on him. The rich continue to get richer in Atlanta with Gonzalo Pineda leading the way. Mm, I think that could be a very tough team in the short term and in the long Are term. Are those four DPs now? Who's leaving? <laughs> well, he won't come. He won't come in until January, okay. but you're right. They do need to trim a DP, and Ezekiel Barco is probably the guy we're thinking uh, it would be, just if I'm doing some, some quick math there. Ezekiel Barco not in the Golden Boot race. However, Herc, the Golden Boot race did come down to the last day of the season. And really, it came down to the Eastern Conference, right? It ends with two guys tied on 19 goals. Tati Castellano scored one against Philly Sunday. Ola Kamara scored two for DC United against Toronto. But Castellanos, Herc, gets the Golden Boot because he has more assists. You, as someone who has won a top score award before, are you cool with this? I couldn't hear the last thing you said. My my IFB cut out. No, I don't remember the last thing I said. I blacked out. What? <laughs> no, I'm not cool with this. No. Okay, you want to know why I'm not cool with this? So, so it's they both tied on goal scored, but they're gonna give it to Tati, who's an unbelievable player, one of my favorite players in Major League Soccer because he had more assists. He may be a more complete footballer. But it's not who's the most complete footballer. It's not who has the most points. And let me tell you why I say points, okay? Major League Soccer used to do the Golden Boot in a point system. So one year, Amado Guevara, the Honduran, who played for the Metro Stars, and Pat Noonan tied for the Golden Boot. But Amado Guevara scored less goals, though he had more assists. So they were tied in points and they shared it. That's not what it's about. It's most goals. Now, as somebody who tied a Golden Boot with goals, Okay, and I think I may have had more assists, may have had less minutes played. It was still tied with Javier Hernandez. You know who that is? Yeah, I heard of him. Okay, okay. I'd rather it that way. It's goals scored. I feel bad for Ola Kamara.
So Herc, very much not cool with it, Ben. How about this? A You Got CONCACAF MLS edition. Jim Curtin found out about his playoff assignment via the MLS app, and it turns out Herc, he wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> what do you say? Reward for finishing second place in the East, eggs and bacon for your pregame meal. Also finding out that the MLS app that doesn't work 95% of the time was a touch of class onward. Ouch, a little dig, a little dig right there at the uh, MLS app, but uh, he's right. These early games are a killer for, for players. You, you're a creature of habit and changing that. Whether it's three, four hours earlier can throw players off. Nobody likes it, the players don't like it. And, uh, I'm sure it was all in jest, but this is really how he feels. And Jim Curtin does not like it either. Not sure if he's uh, more upset about the match time or how he found out about when the match would be played. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, let's go from MLS to the National Women's Soccer League. Playoff time. We'll start in Chicago. They were hosting Gotham FC, over 7,000 in attendance. Mallory Pugh with the only goal of the game as Chicago beats Gotham by a final score of 1-0. It was Mallory Pugh's first NWSL playoff game, and she delivered her. What a finish. You know how difficult that is? Ball's coming at you, just bending around. Very nice, very placed, on the run. Ridiculous finish. Of course, uh, this match also, sadly, the end of the road for Carly Lloyd, her final professional match, Herc. Of course, we had the, the U.S. Women's National Team farewell tour, but this game, officially it. Yeah, running out of good things to say about Carly Lloyd. Uh, you would have bet the house on having another Carly Lloyd clutch moment. It wasn't meant to be, what, just what an unreal career. Gotham FC then eliminated by Chicago. A little bit later on Sunday at Audi Field in Washington, D.C., the Washington Spirit, thanks to an amazing performance from their goalie, Aubrey Bledsoe, advanced to the semifinals. It took a little more than 90 minutes, though. It was scoreless, her 0-0 between Washington and the North Carolina Courage through regulation in the nation's capital, the eventual Game-winning goal comes in extra time. The 113th minute from Ashley Hatch, your Golden Boot winner. Yeah, Hatch again, Golden Boot winner. Right place, right time, just falls to her. You have to feel for the Courage. The first time, how long has it been since the Courage have not been in the final? Of course, uh, involved in that spirit goal, none other than Trinity Rodman. She always seems to be involved when they're scoring. So here's what the final four looks like, Herc. We got Chicago away to Portland, and we got the Washington Spirit away against O.L. Reign. So who you got come November 20th in that NWSL championship? Okay, let's go game by game. Uh, how can you pick against the Washington Spirit? I mean, honestly, it's just... It goes against just my better judgment to pick against a team that's on such a hot streak like the Washington Spirit, that's playing so well like the Washington Spirit. That front line is amazing. After everything they've gone through this season, to get to the final in the manner which they've gotten to and really at this moment going to pick against them, I can't pick against them. I see the Washington Spirit there. Uh, and then this is a tough one for me because Portland's coming off a bye. 
but you're going against a team in Chicago that's won four straight. But they've won it in the most minimalist of ways. These 1-0 right. edging out victories. I don't think they can do that versus Portland, which is the second-best offense, the strongest team defensively, only lost two games at home all year. And, by the way, the carrot at the end of the, of the stick right here. You've got... The final in Portland, a chance to host it. Uh, yeah, I think Louisville, it's Portland. Louisville, Louisville. Remember, they moved it to Louisville. Oh, it's Louisville. I'm still I'm with sorry. you, though. I'm still with you. I, I, Portland, I think Portland is your, your overwhelming favorite here, Probably. right? I think that they're going to get past Chicago. Now, you know I cannot bet against the Washington Spirit. I can't bet against Ashley Sanchez. I can't no. bet against Ashley Hatch. I can't bet against Aubrey Bledsoe playing the way that she did uh, in that first-round game. I'm not betting against Trinity Rodman or Andy Sullivan. And I'm not Andy betting Sullivan. against a team of women that have not lost since the coach who is alleged to have verbally abused this team was let go. This team is on a tear. They are on a mission. I would not want to be the O.L. Reign facing this Washington Spirit team. So even though the whole idea of this show, Herc, is that we cannot agree, we both have the Washington Spirit and Portland <laughs> Thorns then in the NWSL championship game come November 20th. Watch our show next week to see uh, just idea. how wrong we were. From the NWSL, we should quickly mention the U.S. Women's National Team will be in action later this month, and that match will be right here on ESPN. An early start on the East Coast or a late night on the West Coast. It's November 30th. U.S. Women's National Team against Australia should be a pretty good game. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Down the Liga MX, last matches of the regular season. Let's start with a, uh, a wild one, a Mexico City classic. Pumas defeating Cruz Azul, hurt four to three, and with the result, Pumas, who had been terrible all season long, man, you've been killing them, sneak into the repechaje. The Tell playoffs. me you saw that goal. You saw the referee block the Pumas player. They literally <laughs> collided. How much? How how much of a you got Concacaf moment is that? Uh, and then it was Viejo Alvarado again, a hat trick. A Perfect hat trick, left foot, right foot, and then the head. But Pumas making another comeback. How many times have you seen this, Seb? Pumas humiliating Cruz Azul yet again. Piojo Alvarado, yeah, you see it there. Uh, it ends up uh, four to three. But you're right to mention Piojo Alvarado, man. He is uh, oh, coming in hot, especially with these with these World Cup qualifiers coming up for Mexico against the United States and Canada. So much drama. You knew, you just knew with the history between these two teams and one of the last uh, big Cruz Azuliadas being against Pumas, you knew something something special could happen. Another team we're waiting to see if they would get in over the weekend, actually Friday, uh, Chivas, they were playing Mazatlan. Remember, this was winner takes all, right? Win and you're in. Some controversy in this one. Herc, this was at first called a penalty, and then after VAR, they said no. Some some Chivar here? Yeah, definitely Chivar. That should have been a penalty. I don't care if he touches the ball. That, that's it's a penalty. You can't do that. Uh, and Chivas, give them credit. They end up winning the game. They score their goal against a team that only lost once at home versus Tigres in a game where they received a red card in the 22nd minute. So, you know, Chivas onto the repechaje, believe it or not. Yeah, Angel Saliva there in the 87th minute, your game winner and playoff clincher, repechaje clincher for Chivas as we look at the uh, top 
edge of the Mexican table. Of course, the uh, top 12 teams go into the repechaje. Five through 12 will play in the first round. The top four then go directly to the quarterfinals. Let's go directly to our good friend and colleague Mauricio Pedrosa, who joins us now. Of course, you can see him Monday through Friday on ESPN Deportes on a little show called Ahora Nunca, where he co-hosts with none other than Hercules Gomez. Mau, as always, great to be with you. You have been with us plenty on this show as we discuss Liga Mekis throughout this season. We've talked a lot about Pumas and a lot about Chivas and very little of it has been good. So as we look ahead to La Liguilla, who is a bigger threat, if any threat, to make some noise, Pumas or Chivas? Uh, thank you for having me again on the show. It's always a pleasure. And I'm going to go with the unpopular opinion, and I'm going to go with Chivas. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, you already described how they made it into the top 12. What an achievement, by the way, making it to the top 12 in an 18-team league, and we are what? celebrating. I mean, Chivas fans must be popping off champagne all over Guadalajara. But the way they made it to the top to a top 12, I believe, has got to give the players some sort of motivation that they haven't found all along the season. And if that's the case, I think they have a better solid roster than Pumas. I only, I, my only concern is still the manager, but the way they made it to the repechaje, I believe with those players, they can find a way to beat Puebla and then become one of those teams nobody wants to face because let's admit it, at this point, Chivas is playing with house money. Nobody believes they are contenders for the title. Yeah, not only that, uh, maybe nobody on the outside believes, but the people who do believe seem to be a very large population. And when they get going, when that belief sets in and they can play against a Puebla team who, let's face it, maybe throughout the calendar year has done well, but has had their ups and downs this year and is very much beatable. And But they're a very good team, coached by a very good coach in Larcomón. Uh, I just think this Chivas team has more, if you will, uh, good equity built up with, mm. with that fan base. And what I mean by that is they will get behind them at the right times. And also, they're a very good defensive team. The only, def the only teams that are better defensively are America and Atlas, who are one and two in the table. So defensively, they're very good. They're very difficult to play against. And this type of team seems like the team that always does well in Liguillas. So I tend to agree with Mauricio here that it's Chivas. If they can find that scoring form, because chances, they create with Lanio. Mm-hmm. I thought you got a win to advance in Ligia. I, th I, thought, the, I, I thought that was the point, right? <laughs> you can't we, don't think, we don't think Pumas is more likely to win than Chivas. Like, come on, Chivas is what? Two, out, two wins out of six under Leano? This isn't a team that finds wins easily. They needed mm. all the luck in the world to get past Mazatlan. And as you but just heavy. said, a call that very much went their way. We just saw Pumas drop four on the defending champions. Four on the defending champions. Surely that team now is capable of making more noise, No. Right, but, but, but to me, the biggest difference is Pumas, it feels like they already achieved what they had to achieve. I think they peaked already. I believe Chivas can play even better. They haven't played great, and as Herc already pointed out, and you also said it, uh, they haven't been able to score a lot, and they do not win consistently. But you all know this. Come Liguilla time. Come playoff time. It's a complete different tournament. So I do believe that if Ángel Saldívar becomes a player that he was last season, very opportunistic, he's not going to score a ton of goals, but he's going to be there in specific moments of games where he can make the difference. So that's why I believe they are better equipped than Pumas 
to be a threat for other teams. Yeah, All right. Well, so Luka's a right. high-scoring team, too. So that's going to be very difficult for Pumas. Enough on Pumas and Chivas, because let's be honest. Neither of these two teams is going to win La Liguilla. Yeah. Let's talk about some teams that might actually do it. So let's take a look, then, at the latest odds that we found for who is going to win this tournament. And there you see it, Club America, who won the regular season, coming in as your favorite at plus 250, followed by Leon, Tigres, Atlas, Cruz Azul, and Monterrey. Those are your top six. Mauricio, if you had one unit, $100, whatever it is, 1,000 pesos, <laughs> and you could place one bet, who are you going with? I have this very old school flip phone that is selling in the market for $1,000. I'm gonna put it for sale. And I'm gonna put those thousand bucks, Rayados de Monterrey plus 900. Wow. Are you kidding me? Take it to the bank. This and uh, those are not my words. Those are not Sevi's words. Those are my brother, Hercules Gomez's <laughs> words. The best roster in the continent, in the Americas. Mas so Lujoso. that great Most roster. Luxurious. With a fantastic, with a fantastic manager in Javier Aguirre, and it pays plus 900. I'm taking it to the bank. Not that they have been playing great, but I believe when you play elimination games like they did against Cruz Azul and America in Concacaf, they can beat anybody. If it's about betting some money, I'm taking Rayados plus 900. That's not a bad bet because of the plus 900. I can't believe you didn't take San Luis at plus 5,000. That's that's one way of <laughs> throwing on. money down the drain. I, I will not surprisingly take Tigres. Plus 500 with Tigres. Mm -hmm. Is that what they were? Plus 500, if I, if I saw that correctly. It seems what else like, is new? It seems like good value for me for a team that the last decade has been the best team in the league. For a coach in Miguel Herrera that has easily been one of the best, if not the best, coach in the last few years uh, in Liga MX. With players like André Pierre Gignac, who is Mr. Playoffs, it just seems to go on another level when he's in the playoffs. With El Diente López, who's the leading goal scorer, campeón de goleo, this, this calendar, I'm sorry, this regular season, a, a team that's been there, done that, with tons of stars, it just seems like it's easy money for me. Wow. Very, very surprising that Hercules Gomez would pick Tigres. The only thing less surprising than that is that I'm going to pick Club America, who are your favorites. But at plus 250, you can more than double your wow. money on a team that ran away with the regular season. Plus, my heart will not <laughs> allow me will not allow me to bet against Club America. Mao, look at how you, you've turned your back on Las Aguilas here, chasing, chasing the almighty dollar. And <laughs> listen, listen. Uh, I think you saw... Santiago Solari and his players' performances in the past month, not encouraging, not, not great. I have not seen much from America in the past month that is going to lead me to believe that they can win it all. They're still the favorites. I just haven't seen anything special from that team. And America, you know this, Sebi, it always has to be special. Hmm. So 12 of the 18 teams, Mao, as you point out, advance to the postseason in Liga Amaki. Six teams do not. One of those teams were Los Bravos de Ciudad Juarez, managed by Tuca Ferretti, who was understandably frustrated after missing out on the postseason. Here's a clip, and we'll explain a little bit more about it afterwards from his post-match press conference. Hola, Ricardo, ¿cómo estás? Hay viejas, no, ¿verdad? El primero... ¿Quién va a ser el primer
right, guys, so let me see if I explain this clearly. Tuca Ferretti, longtime coach in Liga Mekis, has a tradition. During his press conferences, he allows women reporters to ask the first question. As you heard in that clip, the first question came from what sounded like a male reporter. Tuca Ferretti uh, obviously didn't like this. He uses a word, a dismissive word, to ask if there's any women in the room, and then goes on to repeat over and over again a very direct homophobic slur, almost challenging the male reporters, right, Mao, to, to ask the question. Uh, it's an ugly scene. What do you think should happen to Tuca Ferretti? Okay, Tuca Ferretti has to be suspended for, a, for an extended period of time, has to be fined a large amount of money, but most importantly, Tuca Ferretti has to use that same platform to apologize and to convince us that that will never be repeated again. Because it's not the first time that we have heard Tuca Ferretti using foul language in a public scenario like that. I'm still waiting for Liga MX, Federación Mexicana de Fútbol, to do something about it. Tuca Ferretti has this reputation of being a very loose guy. And the media, we are probably guilty of that as well, has been very tolerant with some of his antics. It has to stop now. He crossed the line. And Liga Mekis has to make an example of this very, very shameful day for Tuca Ferretti. Yeah, Seb, not only do they have to make an example of uh, Tuca Ferretti here, but this is a great opportunity to do it because of what we're living and what we're going through uh, in CONCACAF with El Grito, with the homophobic chant. How do you expect to eradicate a chant like this when one of your most prominent figures is expressing himself this way, not in a private setting, in a press conference? Now, Tuca Ferretti is an older gentleman. We have people in our lives that we always make excuses for. Well, he's from a different generation. Well, you know how he is. Well, this and that. We can't do this anymore. We can't make excuses for people who are successful, for people who are supposed to be role models. Tuca Ferretti may be a legendary coach, but he comes off ignorant, he comes off homophobic, and they need to make an example of him. He himself needs to recognize his mistake and go from there. Honestly, it's one of the most disturbing things I've seen out of Duca uh, because I know who he is. I know the man, uh, and that's why it hurts more. Guys, very well said from both of you. Mauricio, thanks so much for being with us here on Football Americas. Continued success on Ahora Nunca with this guy, Hercules Gomez, and I'm sure we will see you uh, before long back here on the show. All right, time for our top Thank 10 goals we'll from the weekend that was. Right, Let's get to it. We had some good ones. That's right. We're going to see Mao out in Cincinnati. Okay, uh, number 10, penalty shootout in the college game. Quantrell Jones, he's a goalie, so he makes the save for UMBC. But, nah, that's, that's not enough for my guy, Hurt. He's going to step up, and he's going to finish this thing. All right, UMBC retrievers. I see you. I'll <laughs> give me the dance. He gave me the dance. Seb, you're hip with the times. What kind of dance was that? I, I don't know. I, I know I got a lot of love, though, for, for UMBC, University of Maryland, uh, Baltimore campus, local school where I grew up. How about this from the high school game, number nine, now Gunkin Regional against Nashoba in Massachusetts, Garrett Burns. Ah, uh, he gave him the banana. That's when I remember when I was growing up, hit it like a banana. Hit it like a banana. That's what you do. That's what you want to do when they say hit it like a banana. A little curler. There's great goals, hurt.
and then there's great goals caught from great camera angles, and that was that was that right there. Number eight, Pumas against Cruz Azul. We saw this. Piojo Alvarado yeah. coming in hot with the left-footed shot for Cruz Azul. I had to look at this one more than once because first glance, I'm like, did he toe poke that in? No, straight volley, just laces it. Talavera had no chance. That is clean, huh? Almost looked like release. outside of the foot, but let me just uh, right there on the laces. Now, I do not know how in the world, Herc, this is at number seven, but it is from Joseph Martinez. I don't know how this is number seven. The degree of difficulty, and look, Gonzalo Pineda knows what he just witnessed. The ball is at least 40 feet in the air. He doesn't let it bounce. It's curling, it's a lot of spin, it's all technique, it's coming at an angle, behind the back, and then he side nets it. This is a golazo. What is this doing at number seven? Well, let's see what's ahead of it. Number six, Galaxy Minnesota United. Oh, no, my God, no, Chicharito. No, no, One no, of two no, goals no, against no, Minnesota no. United. This is better than Joseph Martinez? No! First off, I think Tyler Miller is better goalkeeper than this, and he should have had that. Right here, okay, maybe a call for a handball, so it would have been a goal, and he wasn't a PK, no problem. But really? I, I, I'm, I'm being told in my ear that our producer is Mexican-American, but Ale Moreno, our resident Venezuelan, is going to be very upset that, oh, that Joseph wow. was, was, was left out there. Number five here from Rayadas wow. in Liga MX Femenil, Yamile Franco. Look at this. Look at the movement on that ball. Look how cleanly she strikes a good reception and then just laces it. That thing is still rising. Well struck. Olazo there against uh, Atletico San Luis. At number four, back to MLS decision day, Sebas Mendes for Orlando City Herc. Oh, this is the good Sebas in my life. What a finish. <laughs> this is a ridiculous finish. Go on, big boy. In step, it's all technique. Watch this, bring it down, and then send it home. Big goal for Orlando City, too, against Montreal. They need the points in this one. They got them, and they are through to the MLS postseason. At number three, USL. Great game between Rio Grande Valley and Phoenix Rising. Bubakar Jai. Uh, does anybody want to stop him? Does anybody want to maybe foul him? In that run, I don't know, at midfield. Uh, right there, no, oh, they tried. My bad, they tried. Can't stop that man. Finish. Yeah, this, uh, like I said, man, great game, great game in USL. Uh, in the end, Rio Grande Valley advancing in the playoffs. Number two from the college game, Washington State against University of Washington. It's a rivalry, it's a derby, Alyssa Gray. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, what's the goalkeeper doing? Like, the goalkeeper honestly thought for a second she had a chance. You know my rule. Do not dive. Do not make a play at it. Golazos are golazos. Save yourself the time. This one was uh, sent in to us via Twitter, Herc. You got to love that. Always. We're listening. We're listening. Number one uh, from Tigres. El diente. El diente. Oh, this is why. El diente. This is a, a, a golazo. Uh, catches the goalkeeper sleeping. Uh, Ex-Monterrey goalkeeper. El Diente Lopez, your goal-scoring champ with nine goals. The lowest tally since your boy Javier Hernandez did it with ten. Was this better than Joseph Martinez, though? No. How's Joseph Martinez seven? Because because he's number seven, is that it? I get it. I get it. Because he's number seven. That's I really, really do not know. That's what but, it has to uh, be. Hopefully he's not watching and too upset. All right, parting shot. Great scenes. Decision day Sunday. San Jose well eliminated. 
But in their final game of the season, Chris Wondolowski scores. And not only that, afterwards, and not to a press conference, but to his beloved San Jose fans, announces his retirement. Pretty cool moment, Herc. Unbelievable moment. Uh, Chris Wondolowski and I are of the same generation. We, we played together against each other in the old, old developmental, MLS developmental league. Those, those days after the, the Saturday night games in Major League Soccer where the reserves would play. Uh, this is a guy for the first three, four years of his career, maybe scored three goals. Mm -hmm. And then come 2010, he just started scoring a bunch of goals when he was 27, 28 years old. And he didn't stop. 171 goals, I believe, for the San Jose Earthquakes in Major League Soccer, in league and in playoffs. And what he got to do with the U.S. men's national team. And, and, and it kills me that most will still remember yep. him for that miss against Belgium in the World Cup. This man's legacy on and off the field is much more than one play. It should be much more defined than that moment, a bad moment for a very good player, a generational talent, and I've said it many times. This is a guy that I admire so much for his resolve, his will, for who he is as a man, for what he's proven as a player. Few like Chris Wondolowski, and I was privileged to play uh, with him and against him and to cover him on this side of the team. Yeah, the uh, miss against Belgium, a lot of people will remember that, but for me, the great highlight of Chris Wondolowski's career is that he went from the developmental leagues, those developmental games that you talk about, to a designated player contract. I mean, that is such a rare thing My in MLS man. and something that, moving forward, I don't know if we'll ever see that again. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. We'll see you in Cincinnati. First thing Wando said to me, 